Thanks, Nate and Amy, for that wonderful time of worship. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here at Cedar Mill Bible Church. And this morning, we are continuing our series that we're calling Undivided. We're actually in week two. We started it last week. And in this series, we're walking through the first four chapters of the letter called 1 Corinthians in the New Testament. And actually, our our end game is to work our our way through the entire book of 1 Corinthians. So that's where we're headed long term. Um, But in this series, we're looking at the first four chapters. Last week, we jumped in and learned some things about this church. This church that Paul's writing to. We learned where it was. We learned how it was started. We learned what the culture was like around it. And most notably, we learned that this church is facing some significant struggles. One of the things I I often hear Christians say, and I think they're well-intentioned, but they'll often say something like, if we could just get back to being like the early church, or, or if the 21st century American church could just be more like the New Testament church, then, then we'd be on the right track. And how I often want to respond to comments like that is, have you read the New Testament? Have you read 1 Corinthians? Because this is a messed up church. And as we'll learn, these people are doing all sorts of things. They're suing each other. They're having sex with the wrong people. They're going to prostitutes. They're using spiritual gifts for positional advancement. They're believing crazy ideas. They're even getting drunk at communion. You know you got issues when you're getting drunk at communion. This church is a mess. And yet... Listen to how Paul begins our passage today. We're in verse 4 of the entire letter, so we're still right at the very beginning. Here's what he says. I always thank my God for you. I always thank my God for you. And, and maybe you're like me. I, I, I tend to thank God for things in my life that are going smooth. I I tend to thank God for for health. I tend to thank God for comfort. I tend to thank God for plans that work out just the way I want them to. I tend to thank God for people in my life who I find to be agreeable, for people who make my life easy. But these people, this church, is making Paul's life anything but easy. They are making his life difficult They are not making leading a joy for him the way that we read last week from Hebrews chapter 13. They are not living into that verse. In fact, they're pushing back on his authority. They're even slandering his character and his theology behind his back. And yet, and yet, Paul says this, I always thank my God for you. Friends, I think Paul says this because he understands something here that you and I must not forget. This is when discipleship happens. This is when discipleship happens. We grow and become like Jesus, not so much when everything is going great, but when there is conflict and struggle and difficulty in our lives. God uses those moments. Remember back when we were walking through the book of Romans, we looked at Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, and these are some of my favorite verses in the scriptures because They help me and they challenge me and they reorient me back to thinking about my life in a different way, especially when I'm dealing with difficult people. Those verses say, 
We also rejoice in our sufferings and our difficulties and our struggles. When difficult people are, are in our face, we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. God uses difficult people and difficult times in our lives to mold us and shape us and transform us into becoming more like him. Last week, we talked about a guy named Sosthenes. If you missed the message last week, go back and grab it. Catch up with us in this series. But Sosthenes, as we learned, was the synagogue leader in Corinth who created all sorts of issues and problems and even persecution for Paul. And then, in the end... Through the struggle, through the challenge, through the difficulties in their relationship, Sosthenes becomes a follower of Jesus and ultimately an ally with Paul for the gospel. And so I I have to ask you, friends, who do you need to be thankful for these days? Who's a Sosthenes in your life right now? Who is someone that's causing trouble or struggle or distress for you? And instead of complaining or pushing him away, just say, God, I'm thankful for this person. Maybe God is calling you to just pause and be thankful for them because he wants to use them in your life and maybe you in their life for his glory and his purposes and to make you more like Jesus. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. I talked last week about how This is a really warm and kind of friendly opening to this letter that is ultimately going to turn and kind of be a challenging, difficult, rebuking letter. And yet, even in these opening verses, there's an undercurrent of challenge. And Paul is reminding these people who they are. He's saying, let's go very, back to the very beginning. Let's go back to the foundation of what makes you, you. The church in Corinth. The church in Portland. The church in Beaverton. And he says, remember that who you are at your very core is people who have been given grace. People who have been given grace. People who have been, through faith in Jesus Christ, forgiven and made right with God. You know, one of the things I see in our world, and maybe I see it a little more because I'm a pastor, but I see this in our world often, and maybe even more so these days, is that people love to get down on the church. Christians love to get down on the church. They complain about the church. They doubt the church. They lose faith in the church. And friends, the church gives them all sorts of good reasons to do so. The church is not innocent by any any stretch of the imagination. Not what I'm saying. But what we notice here is that Paul is dealing with the church that's really messed up, not just in Corinth, but all over the ancient Near East. And he doesn't easily get down on them. He corrects them, he challenges them, but he doesn't lose faith in them. And here's why I think that is. Paul understands that at the very foundation of what it means to be the church, the people of God, is this. We are people ultimately and utterly dependent on grace. The people of God still need grace. The church needs grace. The church might even need more grace than the people in the rest of the world because the church is trying to walk with God. And to walk with God, you've got to burn and use and rely on so much grace. Paul sees these people as a people 
founded on grace. And, and maybe, t- to be honest, Paul's giving himself a little bit of a pep talk here. Maybe he's reminding himself of this fact. Like, I can just hear him in his mind saying, you guys are driving me nuts. You guys are driving me crazy. You're creating all sorts of issues for me. I'm worried and anxious and stressed because of how you're behaving. And yet, and yet, the grace of God, he's saying to himself, the grace of God is still working and active in you. Maybe there's someone in your life that you need to give yourself that same pep talk about you know maybe you need to say this person is bugging me they're driving me nuts they're driving me crazy they're creating issues for me and challenges and struggles for me and yet and yet maybe you just need to step back and say the grace of God is still at work in their life and Paul's not just talking to himself here he's talking to them so as he gives himself a pep talk he's giving them a pep talk and he's saying remember who you are remember that you are people whose value and worth and importance is not based on what you do and what you accomplish but on what God has done for you your relationship with God is based on grace and Paul has to offer this reminder especially to the Corinthian church because as we learned last week this city was placed in a very strategic economic location. It was right on the Isthmus, that little land bridge between northern and southern Greece. We talked about how this location created all sorts of economic opportunities and all sorts of economic prosperity for the people of this city. This was a city that was filled with entrepreneurial people, business people, intelligent, accomplished people whose success often led to arrogance, conceit, and pride. They thought they were all that. You see, these are people who think, man, I've really got something to offer the church. Man, this church is lucky to have us. God is lucky to have me on his team because I'm bringing a lot to the table. And so Paul is writing to tell them, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for you, but not because you're so accomplished, not because you're so successful and gifted and cool and trendy and super fly. No, I'm thankful because God is still at work in you. That's what I'm thankful for. Listen to what he says. I I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him, you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Friends, this was a church that was richly gifted they were smart they were educated they were driven and motivated they were a a community of orators they were known for their eloquent speaking abilities so many in this church had those kinds of abilities in some ways they were advanced in the ways ways they understood spiritual things even though they were very young in their faith they were still advanced pastor john johnson says this they were a people known for their wisdom the type that came through spiritual inspiration, people who had insight into God's mysteries and understanding. And yet, friends, as is so often the case, their greatest assets became their greatest liabilities. Their giftedness created self-sufficiency and self Uh, importance in their hearts instead of confirming what God was doing among them it confirmed 
who they were and who they thought they were by themselves. Notice how he says, you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with knowledge. He's saying like, you've got some stuff, right? God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. He's, he's reminding them how they're supposed to think about all these gifts that they have. And here is what he's saying. Gifts should remind us of the love of the one who gave the gift to us. Gifts should remind us of the one who gave the gifts care and concern and investment in us. It's sort of like getting a, a gift from someone. If someone for example, decided to buy you a brand new sports car. Just the model you like, just the color you like, just the horsepower you like. If you're Josh Burnick, it's certainly gonna be a black Tesla. Now, they give it to you for free. No strings attached, no repayment needed. You don't even have to pay the licensing fees or the registration, nothing. And not because you earned it, not because you did something, not because you deserve it at all. They just give it to you for free. Now, hopefully if that happened, you wouldn't drive around and think to yourself, aren't I cool? Aren't I the man? Aren't I the coolest, smartest, most awesome person to have this car? I mean, I must be pretty darn special to have this car. No, hopefully you wouldn't think that. Hopefully, every time you got in that car, it would cause you to humbly and thankfully remember the one who gave it to you. Friends, let me ask you this. Do you have any gifts in your life that are sowing pride or arrogance or self-sufficiency in your soul when they should be sowing gratitude, humility, thankfulness in your heart to your heavenly Father who gave those gifts to you? Are you smart? Are you good with money? Do you have administration gifts? Do you have hospitality gifts or helping gifts or mercy gifts? Do you have preaching, teaching, healing, discernment, leadership gifts in your life? Well, if you do, maybe today, maybe sometime this week, you need to just stop and ask, am I taking credit for a gift that God has given me or am I allowing that gift to remind me, to confirm in me that God is at work, that he loves me and that he is invested in me? Does that gift need to point you back to your heavenly father? Therefore, verse 7, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. As you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. Friends, he's talking about our entire lives as Christ followers here. He's saying from now, from this point forward, until Jesus returns, until he comes back, that's our life. That's, that's the time period that we live in now. And, and those words, he says, here's how we're supposed to live in that time period. We're supposed to eagerly await. And those words don't mean we just hang out. They don't mean we're just kind of biding our time until Jesus shows up again. This is not like standing on the street corner waiting for the bus. This is more like waiting for a really good friend or a really important family member to come over for a party. Maybe it's a surprise party. Maybe it's a big event. Maybe it's like a 50th wedding anniversary. And my parents are about to have their 50th 
wedding anniversary here at the end of the month. A really big deal. Now, imagine you're throwing a party for these people and they're coming. You don't know exactly when they're coming, but they're coming anytime. And so now, are you just hanging out? Are you just biding time? No. You're, you're working, you're preparing, you're getting ready. You're making sure that you're ready. You're making sure the house is ready. You're making sure that the other people are ready for this big moment when they will arrive. That's what Paul is talking about here. He's saying we eagerly await. We just keep working towards and, and prepping and being ready for this big moment. And Paul is reminding you and he's reminding them they have everything they need to live this way, to live, to live this expectant Christian life. They have everything they need to live the abundant, faithful life with Christ until he returns. Sometimes, friends, in the church, we have this idea that to have and to live the abundant Christian life, we need something else from God. Maybe we're not feeling as abundant or joy-filled in our life as we think we should be. And we think, well, if I just got something else from God, if I could just kind of convince him to give me something else, if I could just act in a way that would, you know, prompt him to, to offer me something more, something else, maybe another gift. It's like when I was in Cub Scouts as a kid. You, you join Cub Scouts, you say, I want to be a Cub Scout. Maybe it's because your parents made you or, or maybe just because you wanted to. But you say, I'm joining Cub Scouts. Um, for me, I, I, I think I did it willingly, but maybe with a little encouragement. At any rate, you, you, you get the uniform. You're a Cub Scout. You're a part of the group. But then it's like, get busy working. You got to do, do all this stuff to maybe get this badge. And you get that badge and, you know, your mom irons it on your, your uniform. And then it's like, oh, here's some more stuff to do to get another badge. You just keep working for another badge and another badge and another badge. And I remember thinking to myself, is this what Cub Scouts is? Just a bunch of chores for badges? I figured that out pretty soon and it wasn't for me. Maybe it was for you. Great. It wasn't for me. But, but friends, this is not how life following Jesus is. Paul says, Right now, you already have everything you need to live the Christian life. You don't need any more badges. You don't need any more gifts. It's not about trying to get more. What you need, and this is what he's telling the Corinthians and you and me, what you need is maturity. What you need is to figure out how to use the gifts you've already been given. It's sort of like a child just this past week I got to be with some friends who really recently had a baby boy. And because I have some pastoral privileges, I actually got to hold this baby boy. It was amazing. He's so cute. I, I love babies. I'm a baby guy. So it was, it was a real thrill for me. I haven't held a baby in, in months and months and months. And I'm looking at this little baby boy. He was adorable. He was cute. And, and here's the thing. He has everything. He has eyes and ears and hands and feet and arms and toes. He even has an amazing brain. He doesn't need more things. He just needs to learn how to use the things he has. He needs to grow. He needs to mature. Friends, the Corinthian church is really focused on how to get more gifts. And Paul is saying to them, you have what you need. Figure out how to use it maturely for God's glory. And friends, maybe he's saying the same thing to you and me. 
Maybe he's, he's calling us to, instead of just asking God for more, to stop and pause and consider what we already have and then think about what would it look like to use what we've been given maturely for God's glory and for his kingdom and for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. Verse eight, he will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, friends, this is Paul saying, yeah, I'm about to challenge you, church. Yeah, for 16 chapters here in just a minute, I'm gonna be all up in your business and even rebu- rebuke you for a few things. But here, but listen to this, I haven't given up on you. I haven't given up on you because God hasn't given up on you. This story, your story is not over. Friends, some of you need to hear that truth today. Maybe your life it seems is in shambles. Maybe you're trapped in some sort of sin. Maybe you have really messed up your job or your marriage or your finances or your family or a friendship. Maybe the honest truth is this, you just blew it. And maybe there are even people in your life who've given up on you, but hear this today, God has not, God has not given up on you. He's always working and he's always redeeming. Our God is always in the business of making broken things new. And friends, that's good news. You may not have been faithful. God is always faithful. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. You might let go. He'll never let go. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Last week, we talked about how we are called to be God's holy people. That's back in verse two. That was Paul reminding this church that they are set apart from the world, that they're not supposed to be just like the world. They're not supposed to mirror the world. They're not supposed to act and think and talk and live and respond and post just like everyone else. He's saying, remember, we are called to be people of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what people should see when they look into our lives. This week, Paul is saying, that's our calling. This week, he's saying, here's how you live out that calling. You see, the message of 1 Corinthians is not bad, bad, naughty church. How dare you live this way? You're really being bad and you need to shape, to shape up. Well, it's kind of the message of the book, but it's not the full message of the book. The real message of the book, the message underneath that message is this. Be who you are. Live out the calling you have received and not in your own strength, not by just trying harder or by, wa- but, but by doing this, by walking in fellowship with God's son. That's verse nine. Here's your calling. Here's how you live out that calling to be holy by living out this calling, walking in fellowship with God's son. That word fellowship. And if you want to guess what the Greek word is, I know some of you know it. Say it with me. Koinonia. Koinonia. Koinonia is about deep, open, vulnerable relationship. 
Koinonia is about a bond that happens through sincere partnership in ministry. Paul is saying, walk in koinonia with Jesus Christ. Surrender to him as Lord and Savior. Be open and honest and connected and in relationship with him. Walk with him, partner with him in the advancement of his kingdom in this world. That is how you become holy, set apart, righteous, sanctified by walking in fellowship with God's son. You know, one of the things you'll see if you back up and if you read this entire nine verse opening is that Throughout these verses, time and time again, God is the initiator. Time and time again, the verbs are really God acting and we're the recipients of his action. It's God's doing this, God's doing this. He is the one who calls. He is the one who sanctifies. He is the one who offers grace and peace. He is the one who enriches. He is the one who confirms. He is the one who keeps. He is the one who calls. You see, at the very center of this opening is an invitation. It's an invitation for you and it's an invitation for me. Stop trying to live the Christian life by your own strength. Instead, rely on the one who can produce the holy life in you. Rely on the one that can produce the holy life in you because you know what? You can't do it by yourself. You've tried for so long. How many times have you tried? And you've succeeded for a little while, but you've failed because you can't do it by your own strength. The gospel says you don't have to and you're not supposed to. Walk in fellowship with the one who can do it in you. And if you want to know his name, friends, nine times, nine times, Times in nine verses, Paul says his name over and over and over again. And his name is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. If you want to know how to find grace and peace, look to Jesus Christ. If you want to know what it means to be holy, Walk with Jesus Christ. If you want to know where to get good gifts, turn to Jesus Christ. If you want to know where the hope is for the church today, it's in Jesus Christ. Because even Jesus says this to his followers. As he's leaving, as he's ascending into heaven to be with his father, he says, hey, go be my people. Go be my bride. Go be my church in this world and, and, and bring my kingdom and live out my grace and mercy and offer the gospel of salvation to all the people. And he says, let me just give you a tip on how to do that. He says, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. That's John chapter 12, verse 32. You see, friends, the goal of the church, the calling of the church is to continue to look to and rely on and depend on and walk in koinonia with Jesus Christ. That's our calling and that's who we will be at Cedar Mill Bible. God bless you, friends. Have a great day.